it's an overstatement or too dramatic to say that nothing is important than knowing who you are, your identity. And I also think in connection with that, it's never been more important to know who you are in the day in which we live. Um, there are a lot of false identities, counterfeit identities that plague us as Christians at all turns, truthfully. Any movies that you face, the music on the radio or that we listen to, the, certainly the social media and secular culture at large is constantly telling us who we are, even defining it by the clothes that we wear and the cars that we drive and the houses we have and the money in our bank accounts and the jobs that we hold, always trying to define who we are. And identity and meaning in life go hand in glove, truthfully. And to have meaning is to have identity and vice versa. And so a lot of people end up not knowing the meaning of life and knowing its significance and in extreme cases even committing suicide because they've never really figured out who they are designed to be. As one author said I read this week, there's really only one question. Who are you? Everything else flows from the answer to that question. He said the identity question is the question. And if your life has meaning, it will become more meaningful if it is connected to Jesus. So asking yourself tonight, as we did, who are you, needs to be followed up, and you can do this with your children, with these following questions. Who gets to say who you are? Is culture get to say? Do celebrities and sports heroes, do they get to say? Do your friends get to say? Does your boss get to say? Is it your parents who get to say? Or is it God who gets to say? And sometimes it's more than just one, but primarily we've said tonight it should be God because he is our primary source of definition and identity. Who, speak, what is, who speaks for God? Well, Scripture does. And I challenge you to take a month or more and in your devotions and meditations every day, read a book of the Bible, and you can almost pick any one of them, and read it from the sense of what does it tell me about who I am. And you'd be surprised. From the beginning to the end, the Bible is about identity. It's about all that we are and all that we should be in Christ. And so you know as well as I do, and the, and the danger is that it's not only God who is telling us who we are, and our world stresses all the time that you should have image. Image is not identity. Image is the projection of what we want people to think that we are. But that's not who we really are. And people live, and I think if... <laughs> I'm not on Facebook or any of that social media stuff myself, but I've been on it enough to see that people pretend to be someone they're not for a living. <laughs> and Facebook and other ones like that are oftentimes used that way. Um, a big teaching nowadays is identity formation. How all of life should be lived out in the sense of your identity. Um, there are three books, if you're interested, and I find very, very helpful. Um, Dignity and Destiny is the theological one that I would prefer. It's the best one overall. It's the biggest one overall. There's another one by Brian Rosner and on identity, and another one by Klein Snodgrass. Who, do, Snodgrass, who does God say that you are? The other one is you, you don't look inside 
to find out who you are. They're all good from popular to middle range to theological. They all have a good place. But if you're looking to get a really good in-depth study, you can find them in all of those one at a time or all together. Um, I read an author this week that said, listen to this, wrongly, here's what he said about our identity. We wrongly center ourselves, and that needs to be decentered. And that happens when we come to the cross. The self is never without a center. Everybody has a center. Someone is telling you who you are and what defines you. He says we all have it. Being a Christian means that you decenter yourself from that role and you put God in its place. And so for all of us, we said tonight that our primary identity is Christ and we have a lot of second identities, secondary identities, and they're, they're not necessarily bad. But they become bad if they take over your primary identity. And that can happen in your ethnicity, that can happen in your religiosity, that can happen in your economics, that can happen in your looks, in your talents, in your abilities, in your intellect. All of those things are good things. And you can say, I am smart, I am beautiful, I am political, I am Hispanic, I am, and all of those things are great. And Paul says when you get saved, you don't stop being a female or a male or bond or free or Scythian or barbarian and all those things. None of those things go away, but they stop being the center. So I see all of those areas of my life through Jesus, and that's absolutely important. Let me tell you how it happened in John's life. If you have your Bibles, turn it open to the Gospel of John. And I'm going to tell you these. You can listen again. I'm going to tell you there are five times that John identifies himself. He chose it. And he does not use his name to refer to himself. He calls himself, in the Greek, the one that Jesus loved. That's how he sees himself. He doesn't say John. Now, let me tell you a few things about it. He says it in these five verses. 1323, 1926, 20 verse 2, 20 verse 21. I'm sorry, 20 verse 2, 21 verse 7, and 21 verse 20. 1323, 1926, 20 verse 2, 21 Verses 7 and 20. Those five times. Let me tell you a little bit if you read them and observe a little bit. Here's what you know. He doesn't say, call himself that in any way, shape, or form in the first half of the book. All of them are during Passion Week or right after it. So let me tell you this, what I think that means. That means when he talks about, I am the one that Jesus loves, I think he has a cruciform understanding of it. Because it is about mainly Jesus' death and resurrection and what happens after that, that he's after in calling himself. So the love is not just, I don't think, generic love, although that's true. It is a special kind of love, a kind of sacrificial love. So let me tell you, here, watch this, and then we're going to get real specific. So the first time he says it, if you have your Bibles, 1323... And let me start in verse 21 for the paragraph. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, reading that verse, where are they? 
Where are they? Yes, they're at the Last Supper, the Passover, right? Upper room. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And here it is. One of his disciples, you ready? Here it is. Whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So the first time we see him, he is at the Last Supper, leaning on Jesus' chest and having a conversation with him. And he calls him a disciple. So he's at this event. He's at the Last Supper. The next one, turn over to 1926. So we might say at the Passover, he calls himself the one Jesus loves because Jesus loves him, if you're taking notes, he loves him with a towel. And the way that he loves him in chapter 13 is that he gets down and he has washed their feet. And then he tells them a few verses later in verses 34 and 35, I've given you an example that you should love one another. And he says, this is the new commandment. So what kind of love in particular was this sacrifice? It was a towel. So to be loved by Jesus means that he loves you sacrificially with a towel, with a servant kind of love. And that moved him. It changed him. He remembers it. He wants to be identified by it. 1926, write it down. Not this time he's not at the Passover or or the Last Supper. He is at the cross. Chapter 19 in verse number 25, by standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother, here it is, and the disciple whom he loved, he doesn't say his name, that's just who he is, he says, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. So here we are. What kind of love is it? Well, it is a love that loves John with a towel. It's a love that loves John with a cross, right? And so that's the kind of love that moves him to want that to be his identity. Chapter 20 and verse 2, he is at the Last Supper. He is at the cross. He is at the tomb. So he, she ran and went to Simon Peter And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, 20 and verse 2, and said to them, they have taken out the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So what kind of love is Jesus love him with that he wants to be identified? A love that conquers everything. All of his fears, death, everything. That's the kind of love that moves him to want to make that his primary identity. Chapter 21 and verse 7. That disciple, there it is, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, and he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Also, later on, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, there it is, and the one also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? That's that one. That's John. So now he is seen by this. Jesus loves me and wants me to follow him. He wants Peter to follow him. He wants us to be on mission with him. So here he is at the Last Supper, 
loved with a towel. He is at the cross, loved with a cross. He's loved with an empty tomb. And he's loved afterwards when Jesus compels them to follow him. Peter, no matter if it means being crucified, as tradition said. And John, even if he has to go through all kinds of difficulty, and he did before he died. See, that's the kind of love that Jesus is trying to impress them that moves them in their life. Listen to this. Not, not my, my quote. Christ is not an accessory to your identity. Rather, he takes over your identity so that everything else becomes an accessory, which is precisely what Jesus is Lord means. I think what we have a problem with in our Christianity today is that our primary identity that we are in Christ is an accessory. It's something like in a lady's outfit, right? It's not your main outfit, but it's the earrings that go with it. It's one of the pieces. It's the really cool purse that you might have or whatever else, the shoes you might be wearing. It isn't the main thing. It's an accessory. It's, it's with the main thing, but it isn't the main thing. And that's what the author is trying to say, that we treat Jesus when we get saved too often as an accessory. That he's important, he's there, he helps us, but he isn't, make, he isn't the outfit, but he makes the outfit look nicer and does things for it. But he said the truth of Christianity is this, and, and let me tell you what I mean by this. All five of the passages that, Jesus, that John identifies himself as the one that Jesus loved also calls him a disciple every single time. So here's what it means. It means John learned that his identity and that Jesus loved him meant that he was a disciple first and foremost. That that is no matter how it happened, whatever else happened, no matter how God used him, here's what defined him. I follow Jesus. He's my identity. Now, you're gonna, we don't have time tonight, but you can study yourself. Identity in Jesus shapes us now and for all eternity. One of the biggest books on identity is read the book of Revelation, and for a different reason than you might normally. Read about all the times about people finding their identity and what that means for them when they find out that it means to follow Jesus and he loves them. It changes everything in their life, absolutely everything in their life. I sat down in my office at home the other night, and I was thinking about this, and I thought about what are all the identities other than this one that John could have said for himself? I wrote down a bunch of them. He could have said about himself that I am John, the one that received all the supernatural revelation and prophecy of the book of Revelation. Now, that's amazing. That would be an identity marker. I mean, really, look at all that he saw and God gave to him. He could have said, I am one of the sons of thunder. He says, I could say this. You know who I am? I am the only disciple out of all of them, including Peter, who was at the cross. That would be another name to have for yourself, would it not? I am the one who God said could write three epistles and a gospel. I am the one that was the inner circle of Jesus' three best friends, Peter, James, and John. I am, he could have said, you know who I am? I am the one that saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw him transformed in all of his glory. 
And you could go on. Of all the things that John could have said, here's what I want to identify. And they are all really, really good things. But you know what it means that he chose this one? That he prefers to be known as the one Jesus loved more than the one who was given prophecy, more than the one who wrote a gospel, more than the one who saw him transfigured in all of his glory, more than all those things and other ones we could have named. You know what he prefers to be known by? You know what the main lens for John was and how he sees himself? Is I am the one that Jesus loves. I wrote down a question What would it look like in your life if your identity and how you saw yourself every day, ready, listen, when your performance was really, really good and God used you to do great things and you are serving him and blessed and you saw that your identity was the one who Jesus loved. Wouldn't it be great? You say, you know, that's why all these great things happen. John would say that. I wrote all these things. God showed me all these things. I built this church. I preached. He, you know what? Jesus, I'm the one he loves. And, and look at all these great things. But what about this? What if you saw yourself as the one that Jesus loved when all the things weren't so good? What if that was your identity and how you saw yourself even when you failed? Even when you sinned? Even when you blew it? And you came to the realization, I'm not the husband I should be. I'm really not the wife I should be. You know what? I was so lazy. I was so undisciplined. I was so uncaring. What if your response to those were, I'm the one that Jesus loves. That's who I am. Oh, not that I just blow over repentance or the search for forgiveness. Oh, no. But what if I saw myself that way? What if that's how he sees me? Now, see, when Jesus said, John said, I should say that, I'm the one Jesus loves. It didn't mean that he didn't love the other disciples because that very chapter says in 13.1 that he loved them all and he loved them to the end. It does. He loved all of them. So he's not saying I love John in exclusion to the other ones. He's not saying that I love John better or more than the other ones. He's not saying that. John doesn't say, I'm the one that Jesus loves because I'm better, I'm superior, I'm greater than them, and he loves me, the rest of them he tolerates. That's not the idea. The idea is that he loves me. It's not a comparison to anybody else. It's not what I can do or I have done. It's a fact. It's a fact that is symbolized by a towel and a cross and an empty tomb. That's what he wants you to recognize. That's what he wants you to look to. When you want to ask who you are, you look to his towel, you look to his cross, you look to his tomb to find out that that's really who you are. So knowing that, how does he respond to it? Why does he choose that? And by the way, to be called the one that Jesus loves means he had to drop the name that he normally is called by, John. Is there anything wrong with being Yohanan in Hebrew? Is there anything wrong with that? No. That was the name his dad gave him. That was his Jewish name. So you know what he's saying by saying? My family name my dad gave me, it's good, but it's secondary. I'm Jewish, it's secondary. He was, most commentators say, that he had some relative or some association with the priestly family. That's why he got in the courtyard where they were interrogating Jesus and got Peter in. So he has that high echelons kind of position, seemingly. But that, 
That's not what he said, I want to be, I let that go, even though it's true for him, right? He had all, but that he chooses to not use John and all that goes with it because he wants to submerge that or subjugate that to his most important identity. So he's willing to let all that go just so he can say this, you know who I really am? You know at the core of who I am? The one that Jesus loves. Why is that important? Well, let me give you a couple reasons and we'll finish. Here's why. I looked at it. The one that Jesus loved, he is, why did he have that statement tied to the towel, the cross, the empty tomb, and the time on the shore? Why are those the specific times that John used to call himself that. Here's why. Because I think that's how he's responding and God's using that in his life. Let me tell you what it means. So he's the only one who could tell the story. Did you know this? In the Gospels, there are two Gospels that are written firsthand and there are two Gospels that are written secondhand. Luke and Mark were not there for all those events. Matthew and John were there. John above Matthew in this Matthew wasn't at the cross. Only only John could say verbatim, standing here, this is exactly what happened. See, I was at the major passion, the events of the major part of the gospel. John said I was there. I didn't just get it from somebody. He was was an eyewitness of it. So he could say this, you know how I call myself the one Jesus loved? I know it because I was there when he loved me with a towel. I was there when he loved people and died for them on the cross. I was there in the empty tomb and showed his love when he raised from the dead. I was there when he told us that he had to follow. He had a plan for us. I was there. I didn't just get it from somebody. I was there. You know what it is? He's a witness of all of it. Can I tell you this? Listen. If your identity is knowing that you are loved by Jesus, it ought to, it ought to compel you to testify, to witness. It has to. Do you remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21? For the love of Christ compels me. It is not just to take it in. I'm so grateful that Jesus served me with a towel. I'm so grateful he died on the cross so I can go to heaven No, John's moved by it. It compels him. He says, I saw these things, and it's not an accident. It's on purpose because I'm an eyewitness. And he proved it by writing a gospel to tell all the things that he would. But he did it with his life, and he preached it, and he lived it. Does it happen with you? See, this is the way you can know for sure that you have the identity and you're living it. Are you? Does it move you like the song said tonight? Do you hear the words? That's what makes me think. How can it be? Remember the old hymn, How Can It Be? I was thinking of both of those today. How can it be that Jesus would love me like that? Now, I've been saved for, oh my, since I was 12, so that's about 13 years. Okay, 47 years. Does it still move me? It does. You know why? Because I have a meekness, and, or someone say, oh, I'm shy. I don't know if I know the answers to everyone's questions. So I, I don't really do that witnessing. I, don't, I really don't do that 
Oh, let it grab you and hold you and, and come to the realization that Jesus loves you. And you'll know what? You'll find that all of those things are excuses. They may be true, but they're still excuses. There are no exemptions for personality or lack of knowledge. All of those things have to be motivated and overcome by love. Do you have that? Is that your Because if you did, you would say this. He did this and put these things in my life. Why? Because he wants me to tell people about his love. The ones that he has for me and he can have for them. The second one is, I find really interesting, is at the cross in 1926, he's standing there and Mary, his mother, is there and John is there. And he says, behold, you're, you know, and, and basically says, hey, take care of my mother. Now, I believe that's happening, and I believe that that's happening for a reason, because at this point in his life, all of his brothers, including James, who would be the chief leader, seemingly, of the Jerusalem church, do not believe in his, who he is. You can see that the gospel tell you at certain points that his brothers did not believe in him. So you're not going to commit the care of your mom to a lost person, even if they're your brother. Here's why. Why would he want John to take care of him, his mom? Here's why. Because I believe what the cross is teaching us there is that when you become a believer and Jesus becomes your identity and you understand his love, here's what it does. You have a new family. Remember what Jesus said when his, he was teaching and people were sitting around him? In Mark chapter 3, and they, said, they stopped him and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. Here's what he, he looks around and he says, no, these are my mother's sisters and brothers. You know what he was saying? Is that love of Jesus says this, you have a new family. John says, you know what? Jesus loves me. And he saved me, and I'm going to witness for him. Jesus loves me, and he put me in a family. Watch. I'm going to love him by witnessing, and I'm going to and love others by witnessing. And I'm going to love him by loving his mom and loving his family. See, here's what. If we love each other, then that is our response to Jesus' love. Have we not learned that from 1 John? Did he not say it over and over and over again? That's what it means to respond to Jesus' love, is that we love people and we love Christ and we witness for him. The disciple whom Jesus loved, it was how he saw everything in his life. 36 times in the last half of the book of John alone, he talks about love. He talks about love other than the Apostle Paul who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. John is the apostle of love. Why? Why was he talking about it all the time? Because he had experienced it. It became his identity. It was who he was and how he saw everything and every event in his life and every person in his life. Is that you? Is that us as a church? Can I make an application and I'll close? We are approaching Missions Month. And we have an opportunity in Missions Month to respond to the love of Jesus for us. We are going to go out and tell people through various ways, with our lives and with our lips, through our small groups, through our church, through the things that we do, we are going to tell them and try to convince them that Jesus has loved us 
And that's why we're coming to you. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to pick up a towel to do it. So we're going to help people. And in my small group, we were talking about helping a lost lady in one of our small group's neighborhoods that know she's so old that she cannot do a lot of things and she needs someone to help her. So I think that one of the things that we're going to do is go to help her and help her do things in her house. And then we're going to sit down and love her with our lips after we love her with our lives. I don't know what your small group is planning, but it's going to be similar things, that we are going to get into people's life, and we're going to love them with a towel, and then we're going to love them with the cross when we give them a gospel, and then we're going to love them with the empty tomb and tell them that life has hope and things can be completely different, and we have an opportunity for you to get involved, and you can do that. Listen, you can do that with a towel and a cross and a tomb, and you can do it with your wallet, and we have a lot of things that you can give toward, but we don't want just to have things that you give toward. Because you know what? It's experiencing it and doing that that makes a difference. John does not, after Jesus loved him, he did not just write a check to a lot of people and a lot of charities. He did something. He followed Jesus for the rest of his life. That's how he knew knew who, that's what his identity did for him. Can I tell you, if you're not in a small group doing a, a missions work this month in October, if you're not doing some organized things by the church, do something. Do something. If you have been loved by Jesus, pray for people by name that you're going to contact at your job, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your family, and you're going to contact them. Yes, pray for them, please. And I don't want to ever downplay that. Talk to them. Set up appointments. Hospitality. Have people over. But here's what we should be known for. The old hymn says, and they know that we are Christians by our our love. He loved us, so we love him. It demands a response. Missions month is our response. It's our response. Can we go into it that way? Jesus, thank you for loving me so much. Not just words, Master. Oh, more than that. A real love that has hands and feet of Jesus. Let's pray. No one looking around, every head bowed and every head closed. How about tonight we do this as we close? Could I get you? You don't need to raise your hand. But in your heart of hearts tonight, after these three weeks, how do you respond to Jesus' love? Do you? Does it compel you? Does it move you anymore? Listen, if you're 16 or you're 86, I'm talking to everybody. Oh, you may not do what you could do when you're 16, but that doesn't mean you can, don't have to do something. Love doesn't mean I have to. Love means I want to. What are you going to do this month in October to respond to Jesus' love? Not just in October, but we're just going to think about that tonight. What are you going to do? Have you prayed about what you're going to give? Have you prayed about what you're going to do? Listen, if you're not in a small group, I just challenge you, do this, at least this. If you're not in one, get in one just for October. Now, I want you to stay in it all year round, but let me tell you, get in it just for October. Just if you haven't, do that so that you can get along with people 
and side by side, you can serve and you can love with towels and crosses and tombs. You can do that. And listen, go beyond. We're doing all kinds of things as a church, but why don't you do something as a married couple? Why don't you do something with your family? How better to help your children understand that their identity is the one whom Jesus loves, that you do something with your family, just your family, or maybe get together with a second family? Why not? Because you know what I found out love is? When Jesus loves you, you get creative. You really do. Oh, let's do it. Let's love our community. Let's love the lost. Let's really love them. Not just preach about it and pray about it and talk about it. Let's do something about it. This is our chance, isn't it? Let's make the most of it for Missions Month. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to be able to respond to the infinite love of Jesus. Uh, the hymn writer says that if we had a, a quill with ink, that we could drain the entire ocean. If the sky above was the parchment that we wrote on, it would not be enough. Oh, Lord, in that song, Blessed Assurance, it says, lost in his love. Oh, that we would be. Oh, that we would be. That we'd be so lost in your love that families would tell stories about how they gave your love to others and how we served others in the towel and the cross and the tomb would not just be symbols of a bygone age, but they would be practices in the way that we live today. Oh, Lord, help us to pray together, to conspire together about how we can give the revolutionary love of Jesus to others this month. And we'll praise you for all that you're pleased to do through the love that you have shed abroad in our heart through the Holy Spirit. For it's in his name we pray, Jesus. Amen.